Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, Matt Macko, founder of Stoke, discusses how wellness at work drives profits. Good afternoon. Oh, sorry. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Maura McShane. I'm with Humanize, and we are sponsoring this event today. Uh, I'm with Matt Macko. Uh, He is the founder for Stoke, and we'll discuss today how wellness at work drives profits. And here's a little background for you all to set the stage. Since founding Stoke, Matt has grown a team of passionate leaders in the sustainable real estate industry. Over a decade in, Stoke is poised to scale due to investments. Matt spearheaded in culture, brand, and new services. He's developed robust tools to assess the residual value of investments in sustainability and is credited with co-developing new methods for stakeholder engagement. Recently, Matt co-authored the financial case for high-performance buildings, a research report published by Stoke. Hello. Thank you for, uh, thank you for joining today. So I'm here to talk about how wellness at work drives profits. Uh, It's a subject that's particularly important to me uh, and something that I've come to learn and understand over the years. And I'm hoping to share uh, some of how I I see this uh, this world evolving uh, and also shed some light on our research report that we did uh, that I'll speak uh, to towards the end. But first, uh, who is Stoke? So Stokes a, a real estate services organization that focuses on, uh, on really trying to understand uh, uh, the ability for organizations to gain financial value in particular from investments in sustainability and wellness. And we do that from connecting uh, an organization's strategy uh, into uh, the programs that they create and into how they execute on those programs, uh, and then obviously the measurement and management of those programs. And we do those from particularly two sets of organizations, large corporate groups, occupiers of real estate, as well as the institutional real estate players uh, that build and develop and own most real estate in the United States. So if you've been living under a rock for the last, uh, I don't know, 20 years or so, uh, you, you may not know that uh, we spend an absorbent amount of time uh, in, in the built environment, indoors in particular. Um, is this working? Yeah. We spend an absorbent amount of time indoors uh, at, to, a place, to, to a point where it, it really uh, tends to affect lots of, of, of how we interact with people. Uh, it affects uh, our relationships uh, at home, at work. It affects our productivity. It affects our stress. And speaking of stress, uh, today, 90% of primary care visits are stress-related. 90% of the reason we go to the doctor are stress or stress-related incidents. And what it creates is this really cyclical and unfortunate negative feedback loop uh, that uh, drives everything from when we, when we take something from work and we bring it home and that manifests and grows at home and then we bring it back to work and it creates this really unfortunate downward spiral. And it's, it's now uh, becoming one of the number one public health concerns uh, that we have today. Mike. 
Yeah. Let's try this. How's that? Better? Okay. So that's led to this uh, unbelievable meteoric rise around mindfulness and meditation. Uh, 20 years ago, we weren't studying mindfulness and meditation. It wasn't part of our understanding of the science of the brain. Uh, and yet today, there's now over 1,200 published scientific journals on the subject. Uh, and a significant more amount of those media and journal articles that have been published on the subject. Who here meditates at least once a week? So I, I think that that's probably about 15% of you, if I could guess, which is uh, the rate at which the adult population meditates at least once a week, up from 4% only seven years ago. It's now the fastest growing health trend in the United States. As Wim Hof would say, it's all in the mind. How uh, your body won't go where your mind doesn't push your body to go. And he does this incredible, if you don't know Wim Hof, he does these incredible things like climbing Kilimanjaro and Everest in swim trunks and tevas. Uh, he's had 26 Guinness Book World Records uh, associated with it that spawned this uh, ability for others to learn and understand his practices, which are basically the same thing that Tibetan monks have been doing for eons uh, around breathing and around uh, you know centering uh, the body's ability and the control of the mind through the breath. Meditation has had some significant uh, increases uh, in, in the scientific community, uh, decreases in uh, blood pressure and hypertension from uh, transcendental meditation. Uh, significantly more than any other, uh, any other type of, of exercise or, or uh, relaxation that we can find out there. It drives improved employee health and wellness, less physical complaints in the built environment, less impulsiveness, uh, less anxiety, uh, and an emotional stability that's improved over the rest of, uh, of the control techniques that are out there. At the same time, it drives improved job satisfaction, the performance in the workplace, and your relationship with peers. If there's any employers in the room, which I'm sure you guys are all uh, in one way or, or shape or form or another, employing people, these type of statistics are impressive and they're, they're, they really need to be quantified. At the same time, over that same 30 plus years or so that we've been seeing this meteoric rise of meditation studies, we've seen the same in, in understanding how the built environment is desi designed and constructed and the impact that those design elements have on us knowing that we spend 90% of our time indoors. Sample research from Harvard. Again, if you've been living under a rock, you, you may not have seen this, but this is called the KFX study one of the first pieces of research that connected particularly indoor air quality, but CO2 levels in particular, uh, with our ability to do uh, basic office tasks, everything from information seeking to strategy uh, to ability to process information. Uh, and basically proved out uh, through a triple blind study uh, that uh, we are superior uh, when we have less stresses on our brain in the built environment and CO2 is, is amongst one of those. 
Other studies you probably haven't seen uh, are nature's impact on the brain. Uh, the amount of activity in the prefrontal cortex, the amount of time we ruminate on ideas or stressors that we have uh, is significantly decreased in a natural setting versus an urban setting. Adrenaline levels over two days, when, when you spend two days in nature, adrenaline levels drop by about 40%. Compare that with an urban environment where they stay about the same, about stagnant. And immune system function. Uh, the amount and the quantity of cells uh, is driven by spending time uh, in a natural environment. Uh, most of you may have heard of the term forest bathing, but this is basically what this is. Spending a couple days in nature significantly improves our ability to process information, uh, to reduce our stresses, uh, and to connect with our peers. There's been several studies out there as well that, that uh, have been kind of amalgamated over time. Uh, Vivian Loftus uh, is, is one of those who has uh, really characterized uh, the amount of the, 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 all that scientific research in, in really two different areas, in, in health and in productivity, and the outcomes that, that, that they see. Everything from uh, you know, natural ventilation to uh, the use of, of an indoor plant uh, drives in the health side up to a 36% average improvement in one's health, and on the productivity side, around a 10% average Im improvement to productivity. Those are really significant statistics that we're about to put financial numbers behind in about a minute. The real issue here in our, in our eyes is that we've, we've missed the connection between how we design and build buildings and how we operate and manage those people uh, inside those buildings. This is a, a chart that kind of best characterizes uh, the amount of money that we spend in these different phases. We, for every dollar we spend in design, we spend $10 constructing our buildings, we'll spend $100 operating that same building over the lifetime, and we'll spend $1,000 on the people in those buildings. It's so staggering that in the first year alone, forget the lifetime of buildings, in the first year alone, this ratio is 1, 10, 4, and 44, meaning that you can spend an extra 10% designing a building to get a 1% increase in the productivity of your employees, that's a smart investment. Thank you. Over that same time period that we've been talking, we've seen this other really unbelievable shift in how we value organizations. This is the uh, value uh, between intangible assets and tangible assets uh, of the S&P 500, those companies that make up the S&P 500, over the last 40 years, basically totally shifted the way in which we value organizations from a place where, where we would, uh, in 75, uh, most of the value is made up of property, plant, and equipment, buildings, fixed assets that were on the balance sheet. Today, that's completely opposite. Today, most of the value of an organization is made up from human capital, relational capital, the IP that's produced, and what they bring to the table in organizations. So knowing several of these factors, we really wanted to study these uh, in a, at, a, at a deeper level. Uh, so we spent about a year and a half uh, trying to not necessarily get caught up in the nuance of is a plant 
in an office better than optimizing around thermal comfort? Or is uh, sitting next to a window better than you know, sitting next to a plant? That, that seemed like a useless effort for us. This was really about what is the financial impact of small modifications in productivity, health, and retention uh, that we know that science is telling us is significantly impacted from uh, improved uh, enhancements to the built environment. So we took a prototypical organization. We literally used Bureau of Labor Statistics information. Uh, the average organization occupies about 150,000 square feet. They have a density of about 183 square feet per person. They have 820 employees. Those employees, on average, drive about $540,000 of revenue for that organization. Fully burdened salaries are around $100,000. $100, those people work 265 days a year and earn about a 10% profit margin for that, for, for that group. Of these 400 some odd studies that are listed right here, we took and distilled 60 of them and recognized that they were kind of best categorized in three different ways. Productivity, retention, and health. So what we did is took a look at what would be a nominal increase to productivity, knowing that the averages are somewhere between 8 and 15% productivity enhancements from, from healthy and green indoors. What would happen if, if we just took a, a, a super conservative version of that number? So we decided to take 3%. We took the uh, average revenue per employee that's driven as a result of that, $540,000 times a 3% uh, revenue enhancement. That equals $16,200, a revenue gain per employee. Multiply that by the profit margin of an organization and by the total employees in that organization, and you get a lift of 3% to your bottom line. Separation, large costs. I think we've all experienced the, the, the cost and nuance of, of folks leaving, voluntarily leaving an organization for whatever reason, right? Uh, studies show that that costs about 90 to 200% uh, of, of the person's salary. We took the conservative side of that number. We took an average person's salary of $100,000, multiplied it by that 90% uh, cost ratio, multiplied it by the average separation rate of 34%, meaning that, you will turn, that a third of your employees will turn on an annual basis. You get $30,600 of, of the average retention cost per employee. We took a conservative 5% uh, uh, reduction in the separation rate uh, associated with those. That equals $1,530 per employee of cost savings per employee from separation rate. Multiply that by the same 820 employees in that organization, you get another 3% lift to the bottom line. And health benefit was the last category we took a look at. We took at the, uh, a look at the average revenue per day that an employee generates, sorry, um, and multiplied it uh, by 30% uh, 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 reduction in the average amount of six days that a person's gone, which is four, basically saying, could we take away one of those days, right? They'll still be gone for three, can we take one of those days away? What's one day of a person being in the office and not sick worth? It turns out it's worth $201,000 or an extra half a percent of lift to the bottom line.
but I'm really about to blow your minds here because when you add all that up, it's, it's, uh, it's far more impactful uh, than you can imagine. Because these, of course, are annual numbers. We've got uh, $1.3 million from productivity, another 1.25 from retention, uh, and another $200,000 from health. That equals 2.78 million, or about a 6% lift to the bottom line. But that's just one year. If you were to take an additional $20 a square foot, or about 10% of an average build-out cost, an extra 10%, put it towards design, and you life-cycled that cost and those benefits over time, you'd recognize a net present value of $23,584 per employee in the organization. This is uh, such an impressive statistic that you could spend up to even $50 a square foot of additional costs to recognize these benefits and still have a positive net present value. You're probably wondering, well, I'm not average, right? I run a tech firm, or I'm in the health services space, or uh, we're a professional services organization. How does this add up for me? Well, it turns out that the higher costs of salaries are actually associated with higher levels of profit on an annual basis. So financial service conglomerates, professional service, and technology companies will yield the greatest benefit from increases in productivity increases in, uh, decreases in absenteeism, and decreases uh, in, in health outcomes. And with that, I want to thank you for coming to How Wellness at Work Drives Profits. How'd I do on time? Two minutes to go. Happy to answer any questions of anyone So the question was around the insurance benefit for wellness. Yeah. From my understanding, there isn't an insurance cost reduction uh, associated with that. And that's because of the way in which group plans work. So basically, you could have a, a group of overweight smokers uh, basically paying the same insurance premiums as a group of highly, you know, fit uh, and, uh, you know, below average BMI levels, right? And effectively, the way the insurance look, industry looks at it, it looks at it on a, on a kind of uh, total uh, uh, pool, total, total basis of the pool of folks that they're insuring, as opposed to optimizing uh, around an individual company's, uh, uh, you know, insurance uh, reduction uh, costs. Um, so that, that's my understanding of that industry. Um, I, as a kind of a separate nuanced topic, I also understand uh, that there are limitations on insurance companies' ability to uh, basically uh, look at uh, look at, at the data over look at the data of the people over uh, the past period of time, uh, like uh, 10 years or 20 years or something like that, and show that, oh, those people have been more healthy than, say, this group of people over here. 
now I'm going to project or forecast out the insurance costs from the healthy group versus the non-healthy group, that is, in some places, illegal to do. I just learned this uh, relatively recently. So, but I'm not an insurance expert, so. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for tuning into What's Next. Have an idea or point of view? Want to record a podcast of your own? Visit cornetglobal.org slash podcast.